Voyage. Welcome to The Easy Way Out. I'm Dr. Joy Bracey, a licensed mental health therapist with a doctor of education who has spent a lifetime in a fat body. In this podcast, you will hear raw, eye-opening conversations that will change the way people think about fatness and will help people with their own healing around weight, emotional eating, body image, and self-love. This started out as an exploration of whether I should have bariatric surgery to address my chronic obesity. But as soon as I started, I realized that how I dealt with my stress, my feelings, my trauma coping, my self-worth, my family and romantic relationship patterns, my relationship with food itself were actually what needed exploring. Through the conversations you'll hear in this first season, I explore the mind, body, and heart healing that must happen to lose excess weight and keep it off. I discover that a person's weight cannot be untangled from the rest of the person. It's a whole person issue, not a calories in, calories out issue. You will be with me on a journey of self-love, healing, and health management that led me to lose 100 pounds over the past 11 months. You will hear me talk with therapists, experts, and family and friends as I explore why I gained the weight, how I coped with it, why a part of me wanted to stay obese, and how I used food to numb stress so I could keep moving at the speed of light. Be with me as I uncover what's underneath the weight and learn how self-love can change everything. I have another 80 to 100 pounds to lose, so I am still contemplating weight loss surgery. You will learn with me as I weigh all the factors and face head-on the pros and cons of a surgical solution to obesity, including reconciling with the prevailing and heartbreaking public opinion that surgery is the easy way out. And ultimately, you'll be with me as I finally make a decision. Today, I'm talking with my good friend of almost 30 years, Andy Page, about the emotional aspects of food, the underlying causes of obesity, dating while fat, and why I'm considering this dramatic and permanent solution. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to The Easy Way Out with Dr. Joy Bracey. We're here today, as always, working to resolve the relationship between food, weight, and self-love. My name is Andy Page, and the only reason I am here is to introduce my incredible friend, Joy Bracey. So she is a national certified counselor, licensed professional counselor. She has a master's of education in human services counseling. She has a doctorate of education and executive leadership, and she is the president and CEO of a community addiction and mental health treatment agency. She has been my friend for more than 20 years, and I know I am about to send her into a level of uncomfort that is really, really hard to explain because I am going to ask her to explain how awesome she is because she really is. So Dr. Joy, who are you? Thank you so much, Andy. I am extremely uncomfortable talking about how awesome I am, but I have had an incredible life. I've gotten this advanced education. As a single mother, I have raised four incredible children. I have this amazing career that has had me running international festivals all the way to running a treatment facility. Becoming a licensed professional counselor is a huge accomplishment in and of itself, but I have struggled with obesity for my entire adult life. This is the one area where I have failed over and over again in spite of the fact that failure in all other parts of my life is not in my vocabulary. What is this podcast about? 
So this podcast that you encouraged me to start doing is all about figuring out my relationship with food, my relationship with my body and my weight, weight management. I lost over 80 pounds back in 2015 and I regained all of that weight and then some. And at that point, I wrote off weight loss forever. I decided to go on a self-love journey. I was gonna love my body as it was. I fell in love with my curves. I've really embraced that body positivity movement and I really identify as a curvy lady. Now that I'm getting a bit older, I turned 48 this year, my relationship to my body is changing. I am in a lot of pain. I'm carrying around almost 200 extra pounds or was, because I've lost some weight now. And there's a price for that. There is a huge price for carrying around that much weight on my joints, on my heart. My risks for 13 different types of cancer are increased. I've got an increased risk for heart disease, diabetes. I mean, you name it. Actually, obese people are at a higher risk of death from any cause. I have severe sleep apnea. They told me in my sleep study that I stopped breathing 80 times an hour. That is more than once a minute. That's, that's unbelievable. I don't even know how you make it through a night. I was not getting good rest. That's for sure. And there's all sorts of other things about being obese that are beyond my control. Like as one little example, when they crash test dummies for car seatbelts and safety, they use a dummy of a 170 pound man. Women's curves and breasts are not even accounted for at all, but someone of my size, like just forget about it. One day I can get on an airplane without needing a seatbelt extender, waiting for the person who's gonna have to sit next to me, watching their face drop when they realize that they're gonna have to sit next to a fat person for the next however many hours. Reading that disappointment on people's faces is crushing. And that is partly because of all the fat phobia in our culture. Yes, but that is not going to be fixed in my lifetime. And I just can't overstate the pain of living like that. This is my reality. And I have four children that I want to live for. And I have so much left that I want to do in this life. And I'm not ready to give up. I can actually remember a conversation that we had when you said, oh, well, I'm not going to be doing this when I'm 90. And I looked at you and I said, but I don't know anyone your size who's 90. Mm -hmm. That's it. I think I realized for the first time, that's a really distinct possibility mm -hmm. that you're not going to be around when you're 90. Yeah. I need to address this weight issue, but it has been with me for so long and it's so hard. I have to figure this out. And so in this podcast, I want to take the audience with me because whether you are one of the 40% of Americans who is obese or somebody who's never really struggled with your weight, at some point, weight management is going to be an issue. As we age, our metabolism slows down and it becomes more and more important to be at a healthy weight. And the older we get, the harder it is to maintain a healthy weight. And it's so complex. Up to 70% of our weight is determined by genetic factors. The rest of the 30% is dependent upon your lifestyle, your activity level, what you eat, how much you eat, how much sleep you get, how much stress you have. I've had emotional eating issues since I was a little girl. My earliest memory involves food where I used food to mean love. 
I remember on my fifth birthday getting a cupcake and that was all I got. And that meant love. So there is emotional undertones. I'm a stress eater and a sad starver. So when you look at me, you can tell my life has not been sad. My life has, however, been stressful. I say that my doctorate is brought to you by Ben and Jerry, our friends in Vermont, because the hormones that stress produces literally make you hungry and food produces dopamine. It gives me that calming effect. And I have always coped with stress with food. I've coped with shame with food. So it's this very complex web and I cannot live this way anymore. I want to take listeners through this journey. What are the options for handling obesity? I'm going to talk with a bariatric surgeon who's going to talk me through the options. I'm going to talk with a fellow licensed professional counselor who has had bariatric surgery. So we're going to talk through all of the emotions of what leads a person to obesity, what it feels like to live in a larger body and what obesity does to your emotional state. And then she's going to go through with us what the surgery was like, what it's like after the surgery, how it feels to have had the surgery. I'm also going to talk with my children because there's a lot of feelings for them too. They're afraid of the risk of surgery. They just want their mom to be alive. I want to live. So we're going to talk about what this means to them, their relationship with food and feelings and weight management. So we're just going to dig into this as I decide whether or not to have bariatric surgery. And if I do, what is that going to be like for me? And if I don't, what is the cost? Well, I have to tell you, one of the reasons why I wanted you to do this is because as you know, we've been friends for years, as we talk about food and food management, every issue that you discuss is an issue that I have. But to be frank, I'm 132 pounds. And at your highest, you were 337 pounds. So that is a 200 pound difference. But the emotional aspects of food is something that I myself deal with all the time. So I find your journey, your experience with food, and to be perfectly frank, your candor, really, really compelling. And I want to be on this journey with you at my weight because I know it's going to help me. You talk about a cupcake on your fifth birthday and that being like the only gift you got and it represented love. I have a thing with cake. Like I, uh, cake for me is love. It's celebration. It's like everything. Yeah. Cake is like, <laughs> I mean, every single time I would go to a family gathering, I would be anxious and obsessed about the dessert. When are we having dessert? When are they going to cut that cake at a wedding? Oh, weddings. All I'm thinking about is when is the cake coming? How am I going to manage to eat two pieces? Like, can I eat one piece here at this table, go grab another piece and go eat it somewhere else? At every party, I'm like looking forward to the dessert. And my whole life, I felt a lot of shame around that. I felt like I was obsessed with food. But then early in my self-love journey, I realized because I was paying attention to my feelings that I'm actually just uncomfortable at parties. I was uncomfortable in my own skin at family gatherings. My family, they're lovely people. I love them. They love me very much. They're very kind to me. But for whatever reason, at family gatherings, I am anxious. My shame is activated. And dessert is going to give me that dopamine hit that I need to get relief from that. Because all this time I was turning my back on myself and not acknowledging how I actually felt which was 
uncomfortable at parties. Instead, I was craving the sugar and then piling on shame for craving the sugar and focusing on the cake and not the feelings that were underneath. And now that I'm tending my feelings and honoring them, I can actually just cope. I go to fewer parties and that's okay. And if I'm at a party and I'm uncomfortable, I just make a reason to leave early. I'm honoring myself until I work out whatever that is. And maybe never, maybe just have to honor my feelings for the rest of my life around it. But I don't have to sit at the party and obsess about the cake for relief from something. I can address the actual thing that I'm looking for relief from. Why do you want to share, you know, this struggle and all this pain? I'm a natural helper. I coped with things in youth by helping other people. I measured my own value by what I could do for others. And this is such a complex issue that most people deal with, if not everyone. And if I could help even one person with this podcast, then I will have been grateful to have shared my story. And I am determined to fix this issue. This is my Everest. I want 50 more years of living. My life has been phenomenal and I intend to keep going. I want to explore this and go through this journey and share this whole process out loud, unapologetically, give some education on obesity and its solutions and share this with people so that I can help other people who are trying to figure this out too. Well, I find it so fascinating because a few years ago, you lost 80 pounds and we were all just so proud of you. And then like, what happened? So in 2015, I did a diet not to be named where I could only eat about 1200 calories a day. I walked for an hour a day, five days a week. And I did, I lost 80 pounds over the course of nine months. It was amazing. I felt great. At that point, I got down to 220 pounds. I was almost there. I was almost to what they call wonderland. I was 20 pounds away from being in the hundreds and I gained it all back. You know, something switched, whatever tools I was using weren't working anymore. And while I was doing this unnamed diet, I was so hungry all the time, Andy. I could not live like that forever. Well, you've already lost some weight. So why not just continue doing what you're doing again? Right. So with the help of Manjaro, I have been losing weight and it's been amazing. I know that this medication is one of the early pioneers in what's to come in obesity treatment. But for right now, it's not something that I think I can count on for the rest of my life. This medication, when I first started taking it, was extremely effective at shutting off that food chatter, that food noise in my brain. Okay, wait, food noise? This is a new term. What is that? It's the constant thinking about food from the time that you wake up till the time that you go to sleep. When am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? How am I going to manage other people's judgments of what I'm going to eat? Just constant cravings. Oh, constant cravings. When I first got on this medication and experienced life without that, it was like this relief because I knew in that moment that this has not been my fault. If a weekly injection can take away this that was in my brain, that means that it's not me as a flawed, terrible human being who's shameful, that this is a medical metabolic issue that can be corrected. 
and living with that freedom was unbelievable and it has been such a gift the medication after seven months there is some relief from that but i'm noticing that it's coming back which is terrifying like andy i don't want to go back i can never go back to that i cannot be in the service of food for the rest of my life i have too much else to do so I want to talk a little bit more about food noise because to be perfectly frank, I don't know anyone at any size who doesn't deal with this on some level. I think about food all the time, what I can have, what I can't have, portion control. I mean, I'm constantly obsessed, you know, and as we age, it only gets worse. So there was a 200 pound difference between me and you. We're both tall women. You had the same food noise. You told me a story about how you would eat everything in the mini bar. Yeah. Right you would restock it so that no one would know that you had done that. And I had the same types of behavior, right? Like I would go get a dozen donuts to bring back home to my children. And I would order four extra donuts, eat those on the way home and throw away the package so that they wouldn't know that I had already eaten a bunch of donuts by the time I got home. And that's just one of the many stories like that I could share. So we're both doing these kinds of things. We both have the food noise. We both have these issues with weight management, 200 pounds difference between us. That is because my brain that is now sick with obesity controls how much I think I need to eat, what foods I want, what cravings I have, and how much I need to eat to be satisfied. And then my body is defending this set point. My body doesn't want me to lose weight. Like six or seven months into losing weight, I started losing hair. And it's very common to start losing your hair when you lose a lot of weight because it's a lot of stress on the body. As much as my size is a lot of stress on my body, my body thinks, well, you, you're alive, right? Your brain wants nothing more than for you to just continue to survive. You need to live. That's it. Your brain doesn't care about your happiness. It only cares that you keep living. It's here to keep you alive. And I have been alive for a very long time in a very large body. So my brain is like, good, let's keep it like this. The second I start forcing it to lose weight, it goes into a panic. She's starving us. What are we going to do? Send in the sugar cravings, send in the food noise, fat cells, keep that fat, all hands on deck, make this girl eat. It uses all the tools in the body to keep me obese. Are there any benefits at all to you being over 300 pounds? Hmm. Well, you know, you would think that the answer to that is no. But absolutely, people don't do things that they don't benefit from. My weight has been a protective layer. You know, I had sexual trauma as a child. And I think on some level, I have this false sense of protection. And it really is false, right? Because we know that sexual assault has nothing to do with sexual attraction. I have believed errantly that being at this size would protect me from unwanted attention from men. Not only that, but there's a literal protection. I mean, as a woman who was over 300 pounds, if you're trying to grab me and kidnap me and shove me into your car and take me away, you're in for a fight. I'm not going down easy. If I just slam into you, you might be the one who hits the dirt. That is a powerful feeling of safety. Just being large, just being large, just taking up a lot of space somehow keeps me safe. And then this is terrifying to admit out loud, because just like many women in our culture, I was raised to be meek, polite, humble, 
small, quiet, pleasing, make everyone happy. Don't think too much of yourself. I coped with the things going on in my little kid life that I had no control over by being excellent. I was well-liked by other students. I was well-liked by teachers because my whole job was to make everyone else happy. That's how I felt as a kid. So I did. I made straight A's. I was on the student council. I got picked to be the captain of the cheerleaders and president of this club and that. And I felt ashamed of that. It was so like part of my identity that no one should think I'm awesome. Yet here I am as a coping tool being so accommodating and trying to be perfect to please the adults in my life that that was coming with a lot of attention and recognition. And so I believe that being overweight is like my apology to the world. Being this size makes me tolerable. And I was a beanpole kid, by the way, but I felt like a fat girl. I had body dysmorphia where I put all of my little girl shame onto my body and I believed I was fat. Even though when I look back at pictures, I still can't believe. I didn't make this life as a larger woman come true until I hit about 20 or 21 years old. And then the real obesity started to kick in after I started having kids at 24. So you bring up the fact that, you know, a lot of this weight is a security blanket, you know, from sexual trauma, but I know you've been dating. I mean, how does the weight affect your dating? Yeah, it's been really interesting as I've been losing weight. I hear from a lot of people, mostly women, that my options will open up once I lose weight, that more men will be attracted to me. And therefore, maybe I'll be able to attract a higher quality man because I'll have more to choose from. And that is so insulting on one hand. And also it's true, is it not? Sure, there are men that are attracted to women my size or men even better who are attracted to me because of who I am on the inside. There are a lot of men too who are attracted to larger women but won't date them publicly. This is very common. You can ask anyone how many times as an obese woman you've been sidelined by a guy who will privately flirt with you, privately intimate that he wants a relationship with you but never would it be made public. So <laughs> will more men be attracted to me if I'm thinner? Sure. Are those the men I want? I don't know about that. How scary. Yeah, yeah. I can understand why that's scary for you. Mm -hmm. I don't even know my body any other way than curvy, voluptuous, full. I can't imagine what I'm going to look like with saggy skin and not enough fluffiness but the difference is I'll be so much lighter on my feet. I'll be taking the pressure off of my joints, the pressure off of my heart. For obese people, our hearts become enlarged because they have to work so hard to pump the blood to all of that extra mass. And just like any muscle, the more it works, the bigger it grows. So I want to give my heart a break. At the end of the day, whether I'm fat or skinny, loose skin or cellulite or whatever, none of that matters. None of that matters as much as my health and how good I feel on the inside. My body is not here for the consumption and pleasure of others to look at. My body is for me to use, to live in this life, to live life to its fullest. And that has to be my focus. Looking pretty for other people is not the priority. 
feeling good in my body is. Do you think men experience the same kind of relationship with food? In general, in our society, girls are raised to be small, polite. We are raised to believe that what we have to say is not all that important. Men and boys are raised to believe that they are right, that they have a right to be heard, that they have a right to take up space. Their clothes, there's no shame around it. It's just your waist size. Like this is your pants. It's just a number. Now there's big and tall, but there's not the same shame around that. Girls, our value is about how consumable is your body? How pretty are you to look at? That is what our value is based on. And as little girls, we internalize this and make that into what our value is. So we begin judging ourselves and comparing ourselves to what we see in the world. Thank God things are turning around a little bit now. But when we were kids, I mean, the ideal body was a size zero, a size two, no curves at all. I mean, so do men struggle with body image and weight? Sure, some of them do. But I do believe that this is a lot more impactful to women. So what about your self-love work and the inner critic work? I mean, aren't you supposed to just love yourself as you are? How do we reconcile needing to make this major change to ourselves or for me to make this major change to myself and love myself as I am? Every day on Instagram and TikTok and in retreats and my book club, I teach people self-love and inner critic healing. Talking about weight loss even is risky. It's difficult territory because talking about weight loss means I'm participating in some way in this diet culture, in this obsession with thinness and this fat phobic society that we live in. However, I am very much into body positivity, body neutrality, but I also have to love myself enough to be honest about the consequences of my weight and address them. I recently posted a series on social media that was 100 reasons to lose over 100 pounds that have nothing to do with diet culture and beauty standards. Looking at what it's really like being honest with myself about what I've given up to be this size. It's so much. It's so much. I remember this time I was in the German Alps with my friends and we were very excited to go paragliding. And as I walked up to the hangar where they had the gear, the men just looked at me and started shaking their heads no. They said, you're too big for this equipment. And I smiled and I took photos of my friends on the side of the mountain while they had this amazing adventure. And I pretended like it didn't bother me that bad, but it hurt so deeply. And that was one of those critical times where I knew that I was giving up something, some part of my quality of life to maintain the size that I was. I remember going to Universal Studios with coworkers. I could not do the Harry Potter ride that I really wanted to do, but I had to do the humiliating experience of sitting in the tester seat and I couldn't get it buckled. Therefore, I couldn't go. So none of my friends went because they felt terrible and didn't want to do it without me. So there aren't just consequences to me. There's consequences to the people around me. Whenever I've flown with my dearest coworker, she always sits in the middle seat because she knows the level of anxiety that I have having to sit next to a stranger on an airplane and feeling like they're going to judge me because I'm too big. Any person who's had bariatric surgery or lost a significant amount of weight will tell you that people are nicer to you when you're thin. 
it's so uncomfortable and humiliating. And there's just, I mean, walking into a conference room when it's not on my home territory, will there be a chair that I can fit in that I feel like is not going to collapse under me? Because I've sat on a chair and broken one before. Am I going to sit in this conference room meeting for the next hour with metal chair arms squeezing into my hips or my thighs? If I'm trying to go to the bathroom, I'm touching more than I'm comfortable touching in a public stall. When I go in there, my body is touching surfaces, period. Or God forbid, I have to use that bathroom on an airplane. I mean, I do not fit. I have to hold it. If I have to go, it is a terrible, humbling experience. And these are things that I don't want to be a part of my life anymore. I don't want to live like that. I want as much as my life can be unlimited. I want that because I have always had a life where the sky is the limit. My dreams are the limit. Whatever I want, I set my mind to it and I go get it and I make it happen. And all of the people who are in my boat can go there with me. And that has been the story of my life, but not in this way. Physically, I am severely limited by my size. It's such a good point. I have never known you not to have willpower. Right. Losing weight, maintaining a healthy weight is not about willpower. Up to 70% of our weight is determined by genetics. That's before we're ever born. The rest of the 30% is a whole host of factors, including how much sleep you get, how much stress is in your life, what environment you live in. In New Orleans, we are a food and party culture. This city is full of good food. In my opinion, it is the best food city in the world. That has an impact on our weight. We are much more overweight here in New Orleans than in the rest of the country. So this is not about willpower. I have achieved, I've accomplished, I mean, I got a doctorate. I wrote a dissertation. This is something I never thought I could do. But once I decided to do it, I was like, okay, what does it take? I'm going to do it. I was working full time, raising four kids while I got my education. There was nothing that could stop me. If this was something that I could stop by myself with my willpower, we would not be having this conversation. Obesity is a disease that is treatable, and I'm determined to figure out the best treatment for me. So one of the things I'm fascinated by is this is such a complicated issue and it really takes so much space in our society as Americans. Why do you think the insurance company is not helping us with this? Yeah, so it's kind of crazy to me that insurance companies can just deny care for obesity. I have what they call a Cadillac insurance plan, but my insurance provider does not provide any coverage for obesity. If my doctor prescribes any medication that is for weight loss, they will not cover the visit, nor will they cover the medication. And they certainly do not cover bariatric surgery. And the reason for that is that 95% of people with obesity who lose a significant amount of weight regain the weight. Once you have bariatric surgery, that number goes down to 25%. So 25% of people with obesity who have bariatric surgery regain their weight. And insurance companies use that number as a reason to deny coverage. It doesn't work. But if you're asking me about my odds, do I want a 95% chance of failure or a 25% chance of failure? I'll take the 25% chance of failure. I'll take it. 
the local major hospital chain here in New Orleans wants $22,000 for the most basic bariatric surgery. There's another place that I found that's a small surgery center. They want $15,000 for the surgery. You can go to Mexico and get it for $5,000. But then there's a lot of risks that come along with that. Once you've gone to Mexico for your surgery, no American doctor will touch you if you have complications. And I'm kind of the queen of complications. So how do I come up with $15,000, which seems to be my best option, that if I am able to do that financing or whatever, then how am I going to come up with the cash for skin removal? Insurance will cover skin removal in some areas if it's causing a health problem for you, which I imagine it would, but mostly it doesn't cover it. So I would be left with those expenses and that can be anywhere from $10,000 to $30,000. So we're talking about $50,000. I mean, most Americans don't have enough money to cover two paychecks if there's an emergency. I certainly don't have $50,000 just sitting around. So what are the risks? What's the next step? So I have to weigh the risks of staying at this size versus the risks of surgery and other interventions. With any surgery, there comes a risk of death. The incidence of dying during bariatric surgery for someone of my size is really low, so that's good. If I stay this size, I will have to continue to deal with the consequences of obesity, living with the fat phobia and fat shaming in our society, living with the limitations that I don't want on my life anymore, and all of the health risks of staying this size. If I have surgery and lose all of this weight, I'm going to lose food as my friend. I'm going to lose this sense of invisibility and safety that I have. Giving up food as a celebration, food as fun, all of that, like the social aspect of it, especially here in this city, I will lose the feel good that comes from eating too much sugar, that dopamine release. Transfer addiction is a major risk with bariatric surgery. After bariatric surgery, if a person hasn't conquered the emotional underlying issues around food, addiction, and the relationship with food, if you haven't healed the emotional eating, you will turn to another substance, shopping, gambling, alcohol, or other drugs. That will happen. I'm going to have to figure out this emotional stuff beforehand because the last thing I want to do is develop alcoholism or some other addiction. This is absolutely not about the next diet or about more hours on the treadmill. It is not so simple. You cannot tell an obese person who has lost a billion pounds and regained and lost and regained and lost just to exercise more and eat less. Because if that worked, then obesity would not be an epidemic in our country. Obesity is a disease and it is so complicated and we have not yet figured out all the parts Right now, at 48 years old, I have a decision to make. If I have bariatric surgery, I know that I will be shamed for taking the easy way out. When we both know that there is no easy way out of this. Wow, you're right. There is no easy way out. And that's what this podcast is about. Amazing. So Dr. Joy, why don't you tell us where we can get more information on you and this journey? Sure. So I can be found on all of the social media sites at Dr. Joy Bracey, D-R-J-O-Y-B-R-A-C-E-Y. If you look me up, you'll see all of my videos about learning to love yourself, healing your inner critic, 
and also my series of 100 Reasons to Lose Over 100 Pounds that have nothing to do with diet culture and beauty standards. I look forward to taking you all with me on this incredibly complex and challenging but worthwhile journey. On the next episode, you'll listen in on a conversation that is both hilarious and heartbreaking between me and my adult children, Tucker and Ellie. We cover fat people sex, that time Ellie slapped a kid because she called us a chubby family, how weight was a factor in their childhoods and how it affects them today. It was something we've never talked about, so we will learn together about how a fat mom's body image impacts her kids and how the mom of chubby kids could have done a lot better for them. That's next time on The Easy Way Out. The Easy Way Out is a production of Voyage Media. The series is produced by me, Dr. Joy Bracey, Nat Mundell, and Dan Benamore. Samantha Barofaldi is our technical producer and editor. Our theme music is by Durlis Gonzalez. You can find my self-love and weight loss content on social media at Dr. Joy Bracey at D-R-J-O-Y-B-R-A-C-E-Y. If you are enjoying this podcast, you can support it by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening, by subscribing for future episodes, and by sharing with your friends. I'm not a medical doctor, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as medical advice or as mental health counseling or advice. These are my personal experiences and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Voyage Media. Thank you for listening.